Hello, Stacey Mueller here, and I welcome you to this podcast of Dropping the Plumb Line. It is January 9th, 2023, and as promised, I am going to share with you a little bit about the biblical meaning of the number 23. Now, the number 23 actually has a duality of meaning of death and resurrection life. And I've done some research, and I'm going to bring forth some of the scriptures that support that meaning and talk a little bit about what God was showing me as I was doing this research of how this is so important for us to see this pattern and understand where we're at. You know, we're in the middle of transition. We have change upon us. We have a lot of death around us. And yet all of us who have Jesus in us have to hold on to the hope of resurrection power that's within us and that is coming ahead of us. And so um, it's really good to look at both sides of the coin here so that we can really rest in the middle of that, be still and know that he is God and that he's doing something even if we can't see it. So uh, I hope you enjoy this podcast. So I first want to go to the Hebrew alphabet and kind of look at the root of this um, number 23. So there's 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. The 20th letter is Kaf, and the third letter is Gemel. And each one of them has a, a picture or pictorial of the meaning of it. Now, Kaf, you will see an open palm, and Gemel, you'll see more like a camel. A camel actually lifts up uh, the burdens of the people by carrying, you know, like water in the desert from one place to the next. Um, And so when you kind of take the two pictorials together, you get what I would say this, an open palm in the act of lifting up from death to resurrection life. So bringing it from one point to the next. And um, I love that they use the open palm because to me that symbolizes uh, death of the flesh where if you clench your hand, you're like in a fist, it's like you're in control, my way or the highway. And you know, it's not until we get to the end of ourselves that we kind of open our hands and we come into a posture of humility and we lift up and we say, okay, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. And you know that his hand has to pick you up and carry you to the next place. So this is kind of the posture or the picture of the number 23 that God is going to put an into the to the place where we're at in our flesh anything that we're holding on and clenching to that's not a him he wants us to open our hands up and then as we do so he will carry that burden and he will take us from where we're at and lift us up into a place a heavenly place or a place of peace in him So now that we have this Hebraic template from the Hebrew letters of what the number 23 is, I want to now go to the scriptures and kind of pull from them to see if they mirror or reflect that meaning. And I want to start with Adam and Eve. Uh, What's interesting is I found out from the Jewish historian Josephus that Adam and Eve actually had 56 uh, sons and daughters. Now, 23 of them were daughters and 33 were sons. Now, we just talked about, I'm going to pull from the death sign right now of the number 23, that the 23 daughters represents death. And then the 33 sons, what does the number 33 stand for? It means a sign. So the offspring of Adam and Eve was a death sign. And why is that? Well, it's because uh, 
Genesis 3 tells us very clearly that Adam and Eve made a decision to go against God's commandment, and they went ahead and ate from the tree of life, or tree of knowledge of good and evil. And in that process of making that decision, um, they opened themselves up to sin, and the wages of sin is death. And I want to go right now to Genesis three seventeen because I want to talk about what were the consequences, uh, specifically to Adam. Uh, then to Adam he said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat it, cursed is the ground for your sake, in toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. Until you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you shall return. And Adam called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. Now, even though the offspring of Eve and Adam was the death sign, she still was able to bear fruit, meaning have children. And of course, they had a wonderful life until you know the time when their their life you know was uh, presented with death, and. And that was because of what Adam and Eve uh, decided to do. And the curse was that the curse was on the ground. Well, Adam came from the ground. He came from dust. Eve came from Adam, the rib of Adam. And so all the offspring were then going to come into this curse. So unfortunately, you and I enter into this Adamic curse uh, the minute that we're born until the debt of that um, sin has been fulfilled. Now, this is one of the reasons why we're born again, because when we ask Jesus into our hearts, we now uh, come into the lineage of the Father from above, who is sinless, and we are adopted into that family. However, since we live here in the earth and we're made of the earth, the curse that has been set upon the earth has not come into its fulfillment of when that debt is over. And when that time happens, then you and I get released from um, the wages of sin, the death, and that death has no more sting. And then we can come back into our glorified bodies and be uh, in our original estate that Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden with God. And so this is the hope that is in front of all of us, and we're so uh, looking forward to that around the corner. Now, I want to go into the number 56, since there was an offspring of 56 children from Adam and Eve. And 50, um, Paul was actually 56 years old when he went on his third journey to Troas. And that is where he resurrected a man back from the dead. Uh, you read this in Acts 20. And then Psalm 56, actually, is David fleeing from Saul. He's fleeing for his life. They're, they're trying to come and kill him. And then he runs into the um, place where the showbread is. And he's uh, just dying of hunger, and he eats the showbread. And so then in eating that showbread, that gave him life to sustain him and to move him forward. And so even the number 56, which is, you know, the combination of Adam and Eve and both of their children, gives us a sign of both death and resurrection power. And that's pretty exciting in itself. Now, interestingly enough, if you go through the history and starting with uh, Genesis in the Bible, you don't really uh, recognize that there was 23 daughters. Uh, and the, the reason why is because the genealogy was recorded through the male heir, 
And they were the ones that took on the name and they received the inheritance and the birthright. It's uh, actually no different than it is today because when you get married, you take on your husband's name. And so this is one of the reasons why I believe that there was 33 sons because it is going to be through the son's lineage that we are going to see a sign of the coming one, and that is Yeshua, who comes through the Abrahamic seed, uh, through the lineage of Judah, uh, through uh, David's lineage, and all the way through Mary and Joseph. And this in him in him coming and fulfilling um, all the requirements of the law, coming and being born as a man, yet having the seed of the father that was sinless, he was able to satisfy the debt um, through his sacrifice and then able to purchase us back into a place of oneness with God. And then later, as time unfolds here at God's set time, also the earth, which is groaning for the sons of uh, God to arise, will come into a rest as well and recovery. And so this is so exciting. Now, I want to go on to 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty one because uh, we read here, for since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. So Jesus' sacrifice uh, was a sign of death, yet on the other side of that was resurrection life three days later. So as we're sitting in darkness right now with so many things that are around us that are speaking death to us, we know loved ones that are dying of COVID or the vaccination or, you know, having really difficult times in their jobs or whatever it is, you know, in their health, um, we know that our our promise doesn't end in this destruction and death. We have to press on and lay hold of that hope and that resurrection power that's within each one of us. And 1 Corinthians 15, 42, 49 actually continues on and shares that truth. It says, so also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It's sown in dishonor. It's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness, but it is raised in power. It's sown a natural body and it's raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being, but the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, and afterward the spiritual. And the first man was of the earth, made of dust, Adam. The second man is the Lord from heaven. And and as the man of dust, so are we also made of dust. And as the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. And as we have been born in the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. So it's interesting that you and I are actually a sign of the number 23 because we have death that's living in our body still, yet we have the resurrection of Christ that's in us and this heavenly image that is groaning for this full recovery of us coming into the full measure of his glory. Now, it's so interesting that uh, we are made of 23 chromosomes from each parent. And the chromosomes are the DNA strands that carry gene and hereditary info. Now, there is just no mistakes. God uses creation to speak of his signs and what he's trying to say. 
And so there's just no mistake that we're made out of 23 chromosomes from each parent. However, they produce a death DNA. Now, if you take 23 times 2, you get the number 46. And the number 46 in the Bible actually is the number for temple or the body. It says in 2 Corinthians 6, 16 that we are the temple of God who have been begotten by um, the spirit of the living God as sons of God. And his spirit has been and then deposited within us. And now you and I are this wonderful, amazing temple that God's presence can dwell in. And as we come together as body parts into one, then we become this city that sits on a hill that called the New Jerusalem. And yet we're not there yet because um, Jesus has, um, even though he has the keys of death and Hades, um, we, there still needs to be a perfection in us, in our temple, so that his fullness of glory can can, can sit and abide and dwell there. And the, the promise is actually given to us in Revelation 21, 2 through 4. It says, Then I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle or temple of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, no more sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. So that is the hope that's in each one of us. But right now, you and I kind of represent what I would kind of consider maybe Herod's temple, because Herod actually uh, created a temple um, that was the rebuilding of the original temple in Jerusalem um, that was burned down in Babylon. Well, we have Solomon's temple that was burnt down. Then they came back and they went ahead and they rebuilt, but the glory of God really uh, never came into its full glory there. And then when uh, the temple was destroyed in 70 AD, um, God say, was saying to each one of us, hey, you know what? This temple that's made of man and made out of the dust, it's all cursed. And what I'm doing up ahead, it's going to have no curse left in it because you're coming into the full promise that I have for you. And so when we read in John 2, 13 through 21, we read about the story how Jesus goes into the temple to cleanse the temple. This is a metaphor of what the Lord is doing right now in us personally, having us call ourselves into this place where we're examining our soul and examining, you know, what we're putting into our body and our spirit, man. Is it lined up with God's truth and his way? so that our temple is cleansed from the things of the world. Herod represents the things of the world and that we are ready for this outpouring of God's glory so that his glory doesn't consume us, but it dwells with us. Now I want to read G uh, this scripture here in John 2. It says, Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem, and he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves, 
and the money changers doing business. And when he had made a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overturned the tables. And he said to those who sold doves, Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. And then he, his disciples remembered that it was written, The zeal for your house has eaten me up. Now, I want to stop right there and just share that uh, I believe God is overturning the tables of our heart so that the things that are hidden in the dark places that we have kept in our own strength covered, like shame, Adam and Eve had that shame uh, when they sinned against God and they tried to hide from God. And so there's things that are hidden in the crevices of our heart that we're just kind of comfortable with and People don't see those things because we do a really good job of masking and, and saying everything's okay, you know, but God is actually overturning the tables of our heart right now and he's allowing his light to expose those things that would cause us to not come into this abiding rest with him. And so it's just his time to do so. So I encourage you as he's just shining this light down upon you, it might feel uncomfortable to really kind of dive into and run into into the issues of your heart, but there's an anointing right now for you to work it out with God so that he can bring that deliverance. This year is a lot to do with your soul getting delivered from the schemes of the enemy. And as we come out of agreement with the enemy, what happens is we come into a greater increase of rest. And that's the scripture that I keep hearing over and over is be still and know that I am God. And if we're coming into the millennium, which is the seventh day rest uh, that God said that he sanctified that day and he made it holy, then he is a preparing a people to abide in that place with him. And so you and I have a responsibility to partner with God and say, all right, what is it that I need to do? And then you bring the increase. And this is the sanctification process that we are in. And all of us are coming into this consecration and we can't do it with his increase. So there's an anointing right now to say yes to God in this, in this process. So don't get yourself busy and get yourself, you know, trying to do this and that and where you're running away from stepping into a some, somewhat a painful process because our flesh recognizes, ah, this doesn't feel good, but I got to get through this because I don't want to stay where I've been. I want to get free. And he whom the sun sets free is free indeed, right? The truth truth sets you free. So as the truth comes to the table, run into it. Now the zeal, the word zeal in the scripture actually means fierceness of indignation or an envious and contentious rivalry and jealousy. God has got a rival jealousy for our hearts and to come into his truth oppose, that is opposing the enemy. And so there's a zeal even in the spirit right now for him say, come, come out of the things that are not of me. And one of the hardest things for us to come out of is, you know, the tie of the trust that we have in mammon and the, you know, the money that is attached to that of the things of the world. How can we trust God for all things um, if we don't have a job? These questions who might hit us at the core. Um, how are we going to um, trust God if all the supplies and the resources seem to 
stop? Are we going to trust him for the manna that's coming? You know what? We have to come to a place, even if that doesn't happen, that we wouldn't have anxiety or concern or worry because he supplies all of our needs according to his riches and glory. And that is his promise. So we're standing on his promise and then we're not, we're immovable. We are not shaken by the wiles of the enemy and the things that the enemy keeps hounding us with in our brain to get afraid of those lies. And so God is also going after, um, you know, I don't know, this is just really in my heart, but there's so many people that are serving God and they're merchandising him for personal profit and gain and power. And God is, you know, kind of dealing with that as well. Some people don't even realize they're doing it. And I think that God is going to overturn the tables of their heart and expose it so they have the mercy of God to come out of that. All right, going on to the scripture in verse 18, the Jews answered and said to Jesus, well, what sign do you show us since you do all these things? And Jesus answered and said to them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. And then the Jews said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you will raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. Therefore, when he had risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this to them, and they believed the scriptures and the words which Jesus said. Now, notice in the scripture that it had taken 46 years to build Herod's temple. Again, that number is reflective of the human temple, 23 chromosomes from the male, 23 chromosomes from the female coming together to form the gene and the hereditary pool for us to be who we are in in the flesh. And so this temple was Herod's temple, again, a foreshadowing of the fleshly temple. So I'm saying all that to say this, because as you know, as you're looking around the world and you're starting to see what the Antichrist agenda has been all about, the number one thing that he's after is our temple, and he wants to destroy it and cause deaths all around. Not only that, he wants to change the DNA of the image of, that we've been made in the image of God, and so that we are have a schism in our temple that want that says I need to serve him and not serve God instead. And so we're seeing a bunch of these um, uh, agendas that are coming out through COVID and the COVID, you know, jabs and, and then all of these nanotechnology and, oh gosh, I'm just going to say the trans uh, humanism that's coming up is all a product of going after your temple because this is the thing. Thing that Satan is so afraid of is he's afraid of the sign of the resurrection of the firstborn, the firstborn remnant raising up out of these death, this death temple and into their glorified state to assist the Lord in the millennium and, and bring healing and restoration to all mankind and the earth. And so he knows his days are numbered. So he's going after each one of our temples. And this is why the Lord says, come to to me and I'd sit with me and I will give you rest in the midst of your enemies. I'm going to talk to you in another, the next podcast about Psalm 23, which is the Psalm of the hour right now that I believe that God is speaking to us. 
So God is asking us to be alert, to be watchful, pray, and to follow his lead so that our temples are preserved blameless and underneath the ark of his covenant. Now, that leads me to the next person that I want to talk about, which is Noah. Now, Noah's name actually means comfort and rest. And his name, on the 23rd time that his name is mentioned, it shows this death and resurrection sign as well. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to read that to you in Genesis 7, 23. It says, so he destroyed all living things which were on the face of the ground, both man and cattle, creepy things and birds of the air. And they were destroyed from the earth, only Noah and those who are with him in the ark remained alive. And so we see that everyone that stepped into obedience and said no to the things of the world and were repentant because God gave them 120 years to listen to the voice of repentance and to turn from their wicked ways. And then came the appointed time. And so he only found eight righteous. Noah was righteous and him and his family were able to come into that ark, come out and away from the process of death that was going to be all around him, be preserved in this wonderful space and place in this ark of obedience. And there they found rest through the storm. And then out of that, they were able to come out and the doors open into these wonderful, brand new, resurrected new beginnings. And so we see that death and resurrection sign right here in Genesis 7, 23. Um, I want to also share that the pattern that we see over and over when God is instituting another covenant so that uh, one can line up to the next, to the next, to the next, that will all encompass all the full measure of his redemption and restoration for mankind and the earth. There's always darkness that's on the earth prior to this resurrection uh, light and life. So we're, we have completely complete light, like Adam and Eve had complete light and oneness with God at the beginning when they were in the Garden of Eden, and they had that wonderful relationship with him as well as rulership. And God said, now, Adam, I'm giving you dominion to go forth and take dominion and multiply in the earth. So he had the scepter and he had this uh, birthright of multiplicity and fruitfulness. And it was wonderful until the time when he sinned. And then though the choice is a sin opened up doors for darkness that led to more darkness to dark, 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 and then darkness all around. And so then there became a rebellion against God and all mankind was rebelling against God. And that was when we see the time actually in Noah's days that um, everyone was rebellious against God and there was darkness and sin all around. But so then after the Noahic covenant came, when when Noah stepped out into um, these brand new beginnings, there was light and there was newness and there was a new covenant and a rainbow as the sign of this wonderful covenant that God said he would never flood the earth again. And so the family started off with this wonderful rulership to take dominion again and to multiply. And they were like kind of one with God. And then as sin started creeping in, more choices to disobey God's voice and to stop uh, following his ways led to more rebellion. And so we see that with Nimrod and we see that with all these people and then darkness was upon the earth again and 
And poor Abraham was in the midst of all of that. And God plucked him out of that. And he said, come, you know, get out of your country and go and come to the land that I'm going to use as a promise for you and your people to perfect my covenant promise. And so Abraham was obedient. And as he was obedient, again, there was a light that came in the middle of darkness because God was going to cut covenant with himself. And then Abraham's, uh, you know, and Isaac and Jacob and all his sons were that light continuing until again, choices were made to separate from God. And this is no different all the way through history. And when Jesus comes onto the scene later on, there's darkness, it says in Luke, or I think it was Matthew 4, and that there was darkness on the on the land of Naphtali. And then there was the sound, the, the light came in the midst of darkness. And this is Jesus coming and just saying, you know, giving the good news of the promise to come, right? He is going, he is the way, the truth and the light. And for those who believe they will come in, be born again and come into this one light and oneness with God again. And so the church was birthed and the church went out with this wonderful light all the way torched through the generations. And yet the church even over time has taken time to separate themselves from the ways of God, the truth of God, and now darkness and compromise and all these things are now upon us. So God's not going to leave us in this state. He always has a remnant and you and I are called to be a part of that remnant as we listen and obey like Noah did, like Abraham did, like David did, like, you know, Jesus did, and you and I are called to do as well. And as we do so, we will be preserved from the death edict and come into this wonderful light. Now, before I go on to the next uh, example in the Bible, I do want to share this because I found it fascinating. In November 21st of 2022, there was this wonderful sign that happened over in China where all the sheep were um, forming a circle and just walking in a circle round and round and round and round. And it started in China and they did this day after day, but there was other spottings of the animals doing this as well. And Matthew 24 says that, you know, what are the signs are going to be in the latter days? It'll be like the days of Noah. Well, in the days of Noah, when you uh, go to the book of Jasher, which is an accurate record of, you know, it's kind of like a historical record that supports the sacred scriptures. And you go there and you get some details of some of the things that are not in um, the, you know, the Bible. And it helps support your understanding. Oh, that's how Abraham got to where he went and all these kind of different things. And so someone reminded me of um, Jasher 6, that when Noah was told by God, you know, it's time to go into the ark. And God said, I'm going to bring the animals to you. The animals started coming and they started going around the ark in circle. And then the animals that were called to go into the ark were the ones that bowed before Noah. And the ones that stood straight up um, were not allowed to go in. And so isn't that interesting? Even the animals came into a posture of humility to go and enter into this place of rest with God. 
So I know that sign could probably be a product of 5G or some of the, you know, atmospheric changes that we're having. However, animals have a, a ginormous instinct of things that are going on. You know, they're usually, you know, uh, alert when there's any kind of natural disaster as well. And so I look at that sign and I go, hmm, that is a sign of the time that God is getting our attention. And that sign actually went worldwide. I mean, everybody saw that sign. And so God made sure we all saw it. All right. The next um, example I want to talk about is Sarah, because Abraham married Sarah and Sarah is the one that ended up bearing the seed that would bring forth um, Isaac and Isaac would then uh, be the one that God said, in Isaac, your seed shall be known. And it would be through that lineage and genealogy that we um, read in the recorded scriptures that would produce uh, Jesus down the line through the tribe of Judah. Now, the 23rd time that Sarah is mentioned, um, it is when she is she had died. And it says that she lived 127 years. And these were the years of her life. And so, of course, Abraham came to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. And Abraham stood up from before his dead and spoke to the sons of Heth, saying, I am a foreigner and a visitor among you. Give me property for a burial place among you that I may bury my dead out of my sight. And so after this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field of Maklebah, and before Mamre, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And so the field and the cave, that is, they were deeded to Abraham. And this is actually the burial place where not only um, Sarah was, then Abraham later went, um, Isaac and Jacob. They were all buried in this plot. Now, this is the very first um, place that, um, first land holding that Abraham bought. And I think maybe even the only one, I'm really not sure, but I think that's the only one that he purchased. Um, and why was that so important? Because God had told him in Genesis uh, 15, um, prior to this, that when he was making this Abrahamic covenant with him and he put Abraham to sleep, he gave him these instructions and said to him, know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in the land that's not theirs and they will serve them. They're going to afflict them for 400 years and also the nation whom they serve, I will judge. Afterward, they shall come out with great personal possessions. And so what this piece of property did was it brought the double portion of, of not only the spiritual promise that God said um, that him and his um, offspring were going to bear the, the wonderful messianic seed, but also that God was going to confirm his promise that Abraham would inherit land and possess great possessions and overcome the enemy. And one of those um, those promises was that land of Canaan. And it was an anchor to that deed of verification to the ancestors who would be taken out of that land. And then they would come back and go, see, look at, here is the sign. That is our, you know, forefather, Abraham. Very much like the signs that we have, what our forefathers did 400 years ago with the Mayflower Compact. That is a sign of the heritage that you and I come into living in the land that God has established underneath his authority. That's what our forefathers did with allowing Jesus to be king. And we have forgotten that, you know, our this nation was built on these Christian principles 
because the foreigners have come into this land and they've taken it over. And now the offspring don't even remember that our nation was birthed out of these promises that the scriptures foretold in Genesis um, 48 and 49. And so, uh, you know, it was interesting because Jeremiah was told the same thing. He was told in uh, Jeremiah 32, 9 to purchase the son of his uncle's land for 17 shekels. And it says that house and fields and vineyards shall be possessed again in this land. And that, why was that important? Because during the time that Jeremiah was told to do that, they were about ready to be consumed by the Babylonian army. And the Jerusalem was about ready to be destroyed. The kings were about ready to be taken. Everyone was going to be dispersed. And yet here God is telling him, hey, Jeremiah, I want you to purchase this land. It was a peg for the promise that after the 70 year, um, you know, uh, judgment of, you know, causing the house of Judah to be dispersed from the land, that God would make sure of his promise and bring the people back so they come and they can finish fulfilling the prophetic promise of bearing forth the messianic seed in that land. And so that's why Jeremiah um, went ahead and purchased that land. And so God is very... and. Uh, I know many Christians spiritualize everything and, you know, they'll say, oh yeah, our, 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 our citizenship is in heaven. And yes, it is because we live by God's rules and his laws and, and what he has, you know, laid out as truth, but we are living here and he has given us the deed or the dominion to take his authority and be his hands and feet to establish what he, uh, what he, you know, wrote out in heaven here on the earth to make this land good and prosperous and bear forth all those promises. And so he wanting us to come into that partnership. And that's one of the reasons why many of you know, God has, as the prophetic inside of me, I have heard the spirit of the Lord say to me, now go to this land over here and I'll bury a quarter. And I was doing it for the prophetic promise of what is to come when God brings restoration in the land and, and, and the land can be healed. And I can't wait for that day. All right, I got to come back from this bunny trail and go back to what I want to share with you in scriptures of the number 23. Um, Jacob Israel, his name Israel is mentioned on the 23rd time um, he was giving instructions to Joseph where to bury him. Genesis 47 31 says, Then he said, Swear to me. And he swore to him. So Israel bowed himself on the head of the bed. And then, of course, Joseph went ahead and did as he instructed. And Jacob was buried in the same cave as Abraham and Isaac. Now, what was interesting about that is Joseph then, out of the death of his father, Jacob, he then took the covenant promise and he was the one that was called to bear that torch or that light and bring resurrection life to that covenant and multiply the goodness of God in the days where he was in charge. Um, the second one is Jacob and Esau. The 23rd time that Jacob's name is mentioned is when Jacob was told that Esau wanted to kill him. Genesis 27, 42 through 45 says, and the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So she sent and she called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, surely your brother Esau, Esau comforts himself concerning you by intending to kill you. Now, therefore, obey my voice, arise, flee to my brother Laban, and stay with him a few days until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger turns away from you and he forgets what you've done to him, and then I will send you 
and bring you um, from there? Why should I be bereaved also of you both in one day? And so Jacob listened to his mom and he left and he went to Laban and there God preserved his life and multiplied it with his 11 sons. His 12th one came when he returned back to the promised land. And then he had to actually deal with Esau. But this is what's uh, really important about this story is that God will pull us away from the edict of the enemy and the death sentence and bring us to a place of Goshen or a place of safety and preserve us in that place and then get us to a place that we are strengthened and we multiply in numbers so that when we have to face our enemy, we have gained a new strength and our strength is actually first and primarily in God alone. And then God does the things that we cannot, but we've come to a place where we can stand in the midst of our enemy and know God is with us. And that is what God is doing with you and I right now. All right, next, the Esther is another story where we see a Mordecai um, and the Jews on the Savan 23, with the permission of the Persian king, there was a decree that overturned um, the edict that was sent against uh, the Jewish people to kill them all. And instead, God brought forth protection from this edict that Haman inspired. Haman inspired. So I want to read Esther 3, 10 through 11. The king took his signet ring from the hand and gave it to Haman and the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, the enemy of the Jews. And the king said to Haman, the money and the people are given to you to do with them what seems good to you. Well, Haman had a bitter hatred to uh, the Jewish people because his lineage also came from the Edomite seed. And so uh, there was no way to overturn that except God. God had to make a way. Just like when the edict is being sent out against us right now, it looks like, are you kidding me? How are we going to get past all of the COVID and all these things that are happening? God is going to make a way that is supernaturally as we come into this place of rest, be still and know that I am God. Esther had to do that. She fasted, she prayed, and Mordecai um, was strong in the Lord and did his part of obedience. And then it's in Esther 8, 9, and 11, and 17, we see how everything got overturned. And it says the king's scribes were called in that third month, in the month of Savan, on the 23rd day, according to Mordecai's command to the Jews and all the governors and the princes, 127 of them in all, that every people in their own language, even the Jews in their own script, they they wrote these things that that was sealed in the king's um, that the uh, it was sealed in the king's signet ring and sent letters to all all, all the couriers on horseback riding around and these letters gave the gave the um, permitted the Jews who were in every city to gather together protect their lives to destroy kill and annihilate all the forces of any people that would try to assault them both the children and the women and those that were trying to plunder their possessions and what happened was is that when the decree came the Jews had joy and gladness a feast and holiday because they rose up over this decree and everyone had fear of of the Jews. And because of that, many of them actually became Jews. And that's what transpired. So do we see the death turning into resurrection life? And now the people were able to feast and enjoy. 
So I'm going to wind down this meaning of 23 with Jesus himself. It says that Luke 23, 23 um, through 25, the scripture says, but they were insistent, demanding with loud voices that Jesus be crucified. And the voices of these men and the chief priests prevailed. So Pilate gave sentence that it should be as they requested. And they released to them the one they requested, Barabbas, who was for rebellion and murder, had been thrown into prison, but he delivered. Jesus to their will. And so here we have Luke 23, 23, a double witness of death and destruction. Jesus is called for to be crucified. And then we know three days later, it it brought forth resurrection life. Now, when you read Romans, you read the 23 sins that actually lead to death. And I'm going to close with this because it's something that we should all ponder and we should all bring before the Lord to make sure our temples and our hearts are overturned and, you know, given inspection to the Holy Spirit to see if we have actually partnered with any of these sins so that we can come out of agreement and then we'll be able to rest in his presence. Presence. Roman 1, 28-32 says, And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness, They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. And so I know this list is really talking about the people that are just saying no to God and just choosing all of these, you know, attributes of what sin looks like. But it's a, it's a list that we should examine ourselves because I can tell you right now, I can look at this list and go, oh yeah, I, I, I've had strife. And I, I've, I've actually, you know, been a backbiter at one time and I've been proud. Um, have I been untrustworthy? Untrust, have I been unloving? Have I been unforgiving or unmerciful? Some of these things we have to deal and crucify our flesh every day so that we can rest in the presence of God. So I think I'm going to stop here. It's been a long podcast. I appreciate you listening as long as you have. I hope in some way that this really ministered to you about the number 23 and that you can just um, take it to the Lord and see what he's trying to share with you through these scriptures. And that's when I am saving Psalm 23 for the next podcast because I knew this would get a little bit too long. And Psalm 23 is something that God really wants us to pick apart and step into and understand his heart uh, in having David share that psalm with us. So God bless you and have an amazing day.